Today, we're going to talk tips for UI and UX design. Hey, how's it going, everyone? I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 19th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I'm your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. Um, and I encourage you to come join our Discord to talk about uh, all things game dev. Um, whether you're a beginner or an intermediate, you're welcome. Even some experts are welcome if they want to come. Um, the open invite link is in the show notes. With that, we're going to jump over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I present a prompt and um, we kind of talk about it. And the submissions come in sort of different forms. Sometimes it's a art submission. Sometimes it's a game design. Last week concludes our first two-part game dev challenge. And part one was to um, design a monster for a horror video game. And part two was to implement a mechanic uh, meant for that monster. So it was kind of like a full monster design broken down into two different game dev challenges, the first being more focused on the sort of story and art, and the second was focused on the game design and the mechanics that go with the monster. So we will be discussing um, the game dev challenge from episode 18, which was the part two of the monster design. Um, It had to do with designing a game mechanic, and the winner of um, the episode 18 game dev challenge is Puppet Jester. Puppet Jester made a submission on the Discord under the Game Dev Challenge channel, and it's a diagram style submission, which I love. I really love this format, I guess you could call it. Um, I think it just looks really cool. So I'll do my best to describe it to you. It's actually kind of visual, but there's some text that goes along with it, and I'll, I'll describe it to you as best I can. So Puppet Jester's submission is, like I said, a diagram. It kind of has two pictures up top and one on the bottom. And it shows a character navigating a, almost like a railway in a, like a warehouse or something. And it has a a big, (laughs) I don't know how to describe it, like a snake-like creature, but with legs, like robot legs. Um, But anyways, the text he has that accompanies the pictures um, say this, blind. Even the tiniest sound will aggro him, and he will raise one of his legs and stab towards the noise. This is an instant kill if it hits the player character. The monster screeches in intervals so the player can move and interact with objects. I think what he means by this is um, that the monster screeches in sort of like an echolocation type situation. I should also mention that Puppet Jester is from Estonia, and I think English might be a second language. So I could be misinterpreting what he's saying here, but I believe that um, the monster has sort of an echolocation kind of mechanic. And he even incorporated some level design in his drawing. It looks like he has two, um, he's calling them roads, I would call them a path. So the first path kind of goes up on a railing, like I said, kind of on like the second level of the warehouse. And 
this monster in the drawing is two stories tall. And the level design here is that you would walk up there and there are objects, um, in this case they're tires, that you push off the railing and the objects falling to the ground kind of trigger this um, attack from the monster where when it hears the tiniest sound it jabs its legs in that direction. So it's kind of a misdirection. And then the second path is along the actual floor of the warehouse and there's all these crates and the player is encouraged to push the crates which makes kind of like a screeching noise and the monster will stab its leg into the crate and get stuck. And this allows the player to bypass the monster in that way. I should mention that I uh, was encouraging sort of passive ways of dealing with the monster when I originally read the prompt for the Game Dev Challenge for episode 18. Um, because as we talked about, um, episode 18 was about horror games, and we talked about designing monster encounters that can't just be solved with brute force. Trying to design game mechanics, in other words, that uh, require a little bit more planning and finesse and just kind of a different way. Uh, this is because you don't want your player to feel like they can just brute force solve any problems with the monster because then you don't have that dynamic where the player actually fears the monster. And so I really like this game design idea because I think it plays to that dynamic well. The player is going to feel very anxious one, because the scale of this monster is huge, and so that already, from just a, like an artistic standpoint, one, it looks pretty cool, but two, it sets that tone that there is no way you're like fighting this monster. The mechanic itself, I think, is pretty smart because it also kind of um, elevates this amount of tension because if you accidentally make a noise that you don't mean to make, the punishment is very big. Obviously, it's an instant kill if it hits you. But you can use this same sort of punishing mechanic against the monster. So you can kind of flip it on its head um, and create noises that will draw the monster away from the path that you want to navigate around it. I think also from a level design standpoint, it's pretty cool to offer the choice between the two ways of dealing with the monster. If you go back to our level design episode, um, you'll know this is good level design because it gives the player options in navigating the space. I think this sort of level and game mechanic that Puppet Jester has laid out for us is really good. And I think it reminds me a lot of um, The Last of Us and how the monsters work in The Last of Us, which are also kind of based on this echolocation and sound and sneak gameplay. But I think Puppet Jester's idea differentiates itself from that because of the scale of this monster. I just think visually that would look really cool. And it, it could offer a lot of like really high tension, um, high action moments, both from a gameplay perspective and just like a visual communication perspective. So yeah, congrats to Puppet Jester for winning the episode 18 game dev challenge. The episode 19 game dev challenge will be to plan and sketch an effective UI UX. So this is going to be kind of like a another um, visual submission. Uh, my idea for this was just like on a scrap piece of paper or whatever you want to draw it on. Um, just envision like the rectangle as your screen. Maybe just draw a few stick figures in for what the game's going to look like. It can be really simple. Um, what we want to focus on 
is the UI elements and maybe some notes about how the UX is going to feel and work. And we'll talk about all that here in a second. But yeah, this should be something quick that everyone can do. And hopefully it gets your uh, mind going and helps you develop a little bit of skill in planning out UI and UX. So with that, let's move over to the body of the episode. So I've been saying UI, UX a lot, and if you've never heard those terms, um, I'm sure that's kind of confusing. I think even to the people who know what they mean, it's kind of confusing. And I've found that the terms often get confused and everyone has like a little bit different of an explanation of what exactly UI, UX is. So I'll just give you mine. It's probably imperfect, but to me, UI stands for user interface And it's literally the graphic elements that are on the screen. It's all of the buttons, numbers, texts, health meters, stuff like that. The UX is short for user experience. And it's used to describe where the buttons are, how they link together, um, and the order that the information is presented to you. And keep in mind that UI UX designer is like a whole career in itself. So I'm just kind of giving you the bare bones like my view of it. Just a few tips that uh, will get you started and get you pointed in the right direction and maybe get you thinking about kind of the deeper things that have to go with UI and UX. So for me, when I'm thinking about it, I like to consider the UX or user experience first and then make the UI graphics that complement my design philosophy. Before we start with the user experience though, there are some general things that we should consider. The first is that UI and UX vary a ton by genre. Management games like Roller Coaster Tycoon, for example, are jam-packed with UI UX. Um, These come in the form of menus, charts, figures, and this really makes sense because if you don't know, Roller Coaster Tycoon is a game where you manage an amusement park. And not only do you design the roller coasters and the rides and stuff, but you also have to take care of the financials of the theme park. And so a large part of the game is navigating menus and setting like hot dog prices and admission tickets and looking at stats of the kind of people in your theme park. And it makes sense that a game like this would have lots of UI UX because without that, it would be pretty shallow. I think it's actually all the charts and the data and the hot dog prices that actually kind of sell the charm of this game and sell the immersion a little bit. On the other hand, you can have um, narrative first-person games, also called walking simulators. (laughs) I'm sure there's an official name for that genre, but I call them walking simulators. These are games like uh, Gone Home and Firewatch. And these games generally don't have much UI UX, um, so that you're further drawn into the world, and it doesn't break your immersion with uh, like screen clutter. So what you should do is figure out where your game fits in this spectrum. I I pick the two extremes, and your game's going to fall somewhere in the middle of those two. Maybe there's a genre I'm thinking of that falls outside of that, but the point is is that you should have a general idea of how much UI, UX your game needs, Um, and if you don't have that idea, look at other games inside your genre and kind of borrow from them. Now, the next general thing to consider is what platform your game will be on. The UI UX design is very different, for instance, for mobile versus a game that's meant to be played sitting on the couch far away from your TV. With mobile, you have to figure for um, the fact that your fingers and hands will actually be in front of the screen most of the time. Obviously not covering the entire screen, but 
if you're going to tap on the screen, you're going to cover part of it. So you really got to think about where to put the UI so that it's always visible to the player even when they're tapping and touching the screen. In the couch example, especially with console gamers, they sit kind of far away from their TV usually if they're playing in like a living room, unless they're playing a really competitive game because I know for me personally, I sit like super close to the TV, which is probably not good for my eyes. But ignore my poor health decisions and let's just say that uh, like a couch co-op game, for instance, the people playing that are going to be pretty far away from the TV. So you have to consider that and make sure that your screen elements are big enough so that they're easy to read from far away. And we'll talk more about clarity uh, later in the episode. So let's get into some user experience tips. The goal of UX to me is to make sure that the player always has the information they need uh, to enjoy the game. You want to strike a balance between not too much and not too little when you do this. Not having the information you need while playing a game um, and having to go through like a bunch of menus to find it can be frustrating. But also having a million pop-ups on the screen also can be really annoying. So you have to strike a smart balance in between these two things and try to provide the player with only the things that they need when they need them. Another good um, tip is that you should try and stick to the genre norms of whatever genre your game is in. This is kind of a personal opinion, but if your game is similar to other games in its genre... The UX is not something that you should try and differentiate um, to make your game kind of stand out more. That is, unless the other games in your genre that maybe inspired your game or you know are going to be compared to your game, if they have a poor UX, then that may be the time where you totally rehaul the UX. It's not the same as any other games in the genre, and your game stands out because it's the game in your genre with good UX. A great example of this is Dwarf Fortress and RimWorld. Dwarf Fortress is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, games of all time. I think I've talked about it before, but really it probably at some point deserves its own episode just to like go in depth about what makes it so great. But its biggest flaw and its biggest turnaway is the UX. First off, Dwarf Fortress doesn't even really come with graphics. Um, It's all in, I think it's pronounced ASCII. It's like A-S-C-I-I. And that's a graphics format that literally just uses characters like from your keyboard characters uh, to represent all the graphics in the game. So just imagine a grid on your screen and like D is for dwarf. So all the D's on the screen is a, a dwarf. And so already you're having to like decipher the matrix, <laughs> figuring out what's going on on the screen. But in addition to that, the UI and menu system is just not good. There's tons of strange sub-menus, information hidden, key combinations that make sense once you get inside the head of the game developer who made it. But like having to read someone else's mind about how they made it to figure out how the game works um, can turn a lot of people off. But seriously, go check it out. It's an incredible game. It's incredible even with those flaws, so that should tell you something about it. Another game came out in the same genre, and I didn't explain this before, but the genre is a colony builder. So you have like a small group of, in this game it's dwarves, um, in RimWorld it's colonists, and you build a little base. 
and you got to account for like the food and water they need, build them beds and rooms, build them armor and weapons to defend your fort, stuff like that. So anyways, RimWorld comes along, and although it's not as deep as Dwarf Fortress, the creator really worked hard to improve the UX of the game so that the casual fan could get in on this genre. And RimWorld became a huge success on Steam. It's also a very good game if you'd like to go play it or check it out. And yeah, I think it's just a great example of how you can set your game apart from the other games in the genre, or at least there's a huge opportunity there to if the other games in your genre have poor UX. And that was a really long tangent for a counterpoint to the main point I'm trying to make, which is that in most cases you should not do that. You should go along with the genre norms of whatever your genre is. So to give a clear example of that, let's talk about health and mana bars in ARPGs. Um, Some famous ARPGs, so you know what I'm talking about, are games like Diablo, Path of Exile, and Torchlight. So if you ever played these games, you know that you have your health in the bottom left corner and the mana in the bottom right corner. And they're usually represented red and blue. And in all three of these games, they're displayed in almost the exact same way. And this is not by coincidence. There is no reason that I can think of that makes it better to have the health in the bottom right and the mana on the bottom left other than the fact that Diablo 1 did it health to the left, mana to the right. And because Diablo 1 was such a hit and kind of inspired the whole genre itself, um, fans of the genre just came to expect that the health was going to be on the left, mana was going to be on the right, and that became the genre norm. Even though from a game design standpoint, I don't think it really makes that much difference switching those. I think anyone playing your game who's a fan of the genre, which will be the majority of people playing your game probably, would notice that and it would feel very uncomfortable to them to have that flipped around. So I know that seems like a really small thing, but that's kind of what UX is. It's one of those small things where it goes unnoticed when it's done well, but it's very apparent when it's not done well. So yeah, just be very in tune with what your players kind of expect as the genre norm um, when it comes to how to navigate your UI, and the places they should look to get the information they want. The next uh, UX tip is to add feedback. And feedback in general is great for all game design, um, but it's kind of a big deal with the UX. This is simple but important stuff like buttons slightly changing color when you hover over them, a beep noise or some kind of quick noise that plays when you're cycling options. Think about the I don't even know what you call it, but that bell noise maybe that happens when you cycle through options in Final Fantasy. Um, On mobile games, it's the phone vibrating when you tap an icon. Feedback like that just makes the feel of of the UI, rather, feel a lot better, and it feels responsive, and it just kind of feels like it works. For the next tip, um, we're going to talk more about motion when we get to the UI part, Uh, but I think it's kind of an idea that may bridge the gap between UI and UX. Motion and composition should be used to guide the player's eye to relevant information. A good example of this is damage pop-up numbers when you hit an enemy. This is done to give you information about the damage you're doing, but it also keeps your eyes on the target 
so that your focus doesn't have to be split into two spots. A good example of this is in games, uh, looter shooter games like Destiny or Borderlands. Usually they'll have, you know, numbers popping out of the enemies when you shoot them. And this just works, like I said, it just helps you understand the damage you're doing. Maybe you're hitting them in weak spots like the head or underneath armor. And in a way, it's also kind of feedback from a gameplay standpoint. But yeah, that motion of it popping up out of the character kind of draws the player's attention to it, but also doesn't divide their focus. So that's the kind of thing you want to think about when adding motion to your UX and UI elements. So speaking of UI, let's get into some tips about the UI. Like we talked about earlier, UI is the actual graphics that you make to present the information. A very simple thing, but a very important thing when it comes to UI is the clarity. Make sure that your UI stands out from the actual game. What you don't want to happen is that the player um, can't tell the sort of different layers between the game and then the UI overlaid on top. So you want to have a high contrast between those two things. And by high contrast, um, we'll talk about style later, but by high contrast, I don't mean like conflicting contrast. I just mean enough to tell which is which. Another easily um, overlooked thing is that make sure the fonts are easily read. Keep in mind that when players are reading something in your game, they'll either be reading in a hurry or reading a lot of it. So make it as easy for them as possible. Another UI design tip is that you should use colors to consistently convey meaning. A good example of this is green numbers typically are always healing and red numbers are always damage. This way the player can get information um, just by knowing the color. Maybe they don't have the time or things are really frantic um, and they don't have, I don't know, I guess just the time to read the number. But if they just see that it's red, they know they're doing damage. Maybe for a critical hit, you have an orange number. And so, yeah, they can much more quickly figure out um, if they're getting criticals, if they're doing normal damage, if they're getting healed. Especially in frantic instances where maybe the number itself doesn't matter as much as the nature of what the number means. Another way to convey meaning is using animations and, I guess, more motion with your UI elements. A good example of this is that a rapid blinking icon conveys urgency, while a slow sliding message can be used as kind of a non-abrasive reminder. When making your UI, you should be considering these kinds of things. You can do this with lots of stuff. You can do it with shapes and kind of make your own rules for your game. Maybe circular shapes mean one thing where square-like shapes mean another. It's these very subtle things that convey meaning that make for good UI design um, because ultimately it ends up having your player navigate the information quicker. So the last thing I want to talk about is the style of your UI. Depending on the genre, remember we talked about genres that have lots of UI and genres that maybe don't have as much. Um, the UI could be a large part it will be a large part in some cases of your overall visual aesthetic. Now this is a fine line you have to walk because um, what you don't want to do is sacrifice clarity for artistic style. You might be inclined to go for the most fancy, maybe you use like a font that's real 
cursive-y with lots of swirlies and stuff, so it looks fancy. But who can even read cursive anymore? I can't. <laughs> and um, that's not... I know I'm laughing. It's not a joke. I really struggle reading cursive. But yeah, anyways, I think you should try and strike a balance between clarity and style. And saying that is... I guess the phrase is easier said than done, but I think that should be the goal when it comes to your stylistic choices uh, for the UI. Remember, we talked about games with maybe not as much UI, and so you might think, oh, well, the style doesn't really matter for those. But actually, I think it can be one of your biggest strengths um, in increasing immersion in those kind of games. If you present the UI as in-game objects, like literally objects that your character picks up and looks at, that can really do a lot to have your player be more immersed in the world they're in. An example of this maybe is a digital wristwatch that becomes a menu. Even just a simple animation of a hand and a wristwatch coming up to the screen can go a really long way. And plus it's just a, it's a fun thing to design, I think too. So yeah, don't count the style out um, even if your game doesn't have as much UI. Like I said earlier in the episode, UI and UX design is in itself a whole career. And so I could never cover everything. I'm not even qualified to cover everything. But I think with these tips that I mentioned, you'll have a good footing to start improving your UI and UX in your game dev projects. So with that, I'm just going to go to the summary and kind of hit the main points of everything. So remember that UI is the actual graphical elements, while UX is the experience of using those graphic elements. Before you start, you should consider some broad things like how much UI UX is gonna play a role in your game and what platform will it be presented on. When designing your UX, you should try and use genre norms um, unless your genre is known for lacking in good UX, in which case that's a good opportunity to have your game stand out by being the one with a good user experience. Remember to use feedback, motion, and composition so that your player has everything they need to enjoy the game. By everything they need, I mean the information. Help guide the player's eyes to where they should be looking. And remember that you're walking a fine line between showing too much and showing too little. UI elements themselves should be clear to read and stand out from the gameplay. And you can signal additional information um, using colors and animations and even shapes. Lastly, the style of your UI goes a long way for your overall visual aesthetic. So with that, I think I'm gonna end the episode. Next episode, episode 20, will be about developing an art style. If you'd like to reach out to me, you're always welcome to on Twitter. Um, My handle is at underscore Zachavelli underscore. It's the same handle on Instagram. If you'd like to join our community Discord, that's open to everyone. There's tons of great stuff on there. Big shout out to Llama King. Made the first ever Game Dev Field Guide fan art. I had to make a whole channel just to show it off. Um, So now we have a fan art channel. Llama King is a great pixel artist and kind of redid the Game Dev Field Guide logo. So go check it out because it's really cool. The Discord's also a great place for announcements about the community and episodes. Um, If you need help with something, we have a technical help section. There's learning content. There's a whole bunch of good stuff there. 
So yeah, go check it out. The open invite link is in the show notes. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli. What should my sign-off be? You guys have a nice night. You get it? Because it sounds like you guys. (sighs) I'll see you guys next time.